You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Like a lot of kids who grew up in the Bay Area, I was way too young to be reading Robert Gray Smith's Zodiac. Written by the former Chronicle political cartoonist and published in 1986, the true crime book was a comprehensive and horrifying account of the unsolved Zodiac killings from the 1960s and 70s. Just turning the pages was a coming of age. David Fincher's Zodiac movie came out in 2007 and brought up all those feelings again. Whatever you think about the movie, it captured a historic time in the Bay Area, including super authentic 1970s Chronicle newsroom dialogue. Oh, what's on the crime beat? Janice and Datebook left the fondue party before everyone got naked. Today's August 1st. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. If the examiner doesn't have the balls to run it, we scoop the bank. Now this man is talking about shooting 12 people. And not running this might make him do that. With this year's 10th anniversary of the film, Zodiac is our first SF cinema greatest of all time. I invited Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan, known for his outstanding homeless coverage these days, who is also our Zodiac reporter. Joining us is Chronicle columnist Beth Spotswood, a true crime aficionado who probably knows all the lines to this movie. And before we start, I'd like to apologize to my father. Whatever you hear in this podcast, he is definitely not the Zodiac Killer. Sorry, Dad. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Beth Spotswood and Kevin Fagan, thank you for coming. You bet. The uh, Chronicle Archive, is this your first trip here? Yes. First in this location. This is the first Chronicle podcast being recorded um, by me. And um, I'm really glad. I, I set this up kind of, it's like a secret layer. And how would you describe it? I would describe it as having flickering fluorescent lighting overhead. And we're surrounded by stacks and stacks and stacks of old newspapers and photos filed in doctor's office, color-coded filing systems. Thank you for mentioning the doctor's office because I think this is what Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs uh, room would look like if he was a dentist. Oh, yeah. If he like stopped serial killing and became a dentist. Or, you know, you, you could probably off someone, stuff them in a box and they wouldn't be found for months. This is a yeah. really good place to stash a body. Let's not do that, though. Let's do our podcast on the... This is one of the greatest San Francisco movies of all time, and our first one is The Zodiac. Yeah. And um, brought you both here because you're my true crime buddy, Beth Spotswood, yes, columnist for The Chronicle. And Kevin Fagan, you are on The Zodiac beat for The Chronicle. Yeah. And I got to ask you, how does that happen? What, how do you get The Zodiac beat at The Chronicle? Well, for one thing, uh, a lot of editors don't really want to have Zodiac stories because they come all the time and there's a lot of crackpot associated with a lot of the tips. So usually you go to an editor and you say, hey, I've got a Zodiac story. They roll their eyes and the word no spills out very quickly. But what happened was in 1996, I'd been assigned to write about the Unabomber uh, with Mike Taylor, and a, a great reporter who retired from here. And so we spent months looking for the Unabomber, uh, which was silly since the FBI couldn't even find him. Anyway, when he got busted, I went up to Montana, uh, covered that, and there was you know the aftermath. It was a big, it was a big story in the mid '90s, and in the middle of all that, I started getting letters from people saying, "Hey, we think the Unabomber is the Zodiac." So <laughs> I wrote a story 
in May 1996 saying uh, there's this wild theory out there that the Zodiac is, you know, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. It was, um, there's still some people who think that is the case. I want to be respectful of them, but the stuff just doesn't line up. Different methods. I mean, Ted bombed people, Zodiac shot and stabbed people. Uh, There were different timelines, different locations, different personalities, different voicings, different handwriting, you know, but when you're covering the Zodiac, when you're thinking about the Zodiac, there's so many clues, so many pieces, so many people, so many things out there. You can pretty much lace it all together and make whoever you want to be the Zodiac. You know, I, I think it's a rite of passage in the Bay Area the first time when you think your dad is the Zodiac. <laughs> and my, what? <laughs> you thought that never happened to you? Mr. Hartlob was the Zodiac? He's a mathematician. He um, um, well, is he, just really meticulous. <laughs> So, uh, no, I mean, I, I'm thinking like a lot of people, Gray Smith's book, um, I'm in my mid-40s and I picked it up when I was at an age where I would really get scared by it. Yeah. And I had friends who did too. And you read uh, Robert Gray Smith's book and then you start getting these wild thoughts and maybe you take a little Zodiac tour of your own um, if you live around here. And you start getting theories, but you get all the stuff people send and I wonder, like, what that's like because I think, like, oh, maybe my dad's a zodiac, and then and then I drop it. But there are people who don't drop it. Oh yeah, it it is a little spooky. I get people who call, write, send in stuff, send sound clips. Uh, the, the send theories, sound clips. Yeah, sound clips of you know what they think are spooky noises that might be the zodiac somewhere, and. and, and it, the theories are all over the map. Dad's the Zodiac. My uncle's the Zodiac. The nutball upstairs is the Zodiac. A bunch of cops is the Zodiac. Oh, no, the Zodiac's an alien. It goes on and on. And some of these are really thoughtfully assembled, these theories, and then they put them in a handmade books and send them to me. Uh, or, they, they, or they write five-page single-spaced emails and send them to me. And it's... It, it can get a little spooky. I, I've had some people t- call me on the phone and, and tell me, you know, the Zodiac is in the room next door and he's going to kill me. And you just you go, OK, this is it, it. It's creepy. And and the people who come up with these things generally really believe them. Yeah. Do you and, get stuff, though? Do you ever get something that you're like, hmm, that might line up? I mean. I do, and the and the one of the, the main one probably was uh, Lyndon Lafferty was a CHP officer during the Zodiac killings who was you know tangentially related to the the investigation. Well, he assembled a team of people who were in the investigation of the Zodiac, and they came up with their own guy, which he, was uh, it was a guy they uh, was a uh, oh I think he was an accountant and he retired and he was in his nineties and he was out in Vacaville I believe. Um, they were keeping it kind of secret, but then they let me in on it, and I, I scoped it out. Some people think that's the guy, but he, he died, uh, which is what happens with a lot of Zodiac suspects, is they die, and then it's unsolvable to a large extent because you're never going to get a, a confession, and it's all circumstantial, and you know you get little bits of evidence. People come up with the Zodiac hoods. They come up with bullets. They come up with guns. The, the glasses from Paul Stein, the dead taxi driver, all kinds of stuff gets mailed into the and taken in by in person to the police department. And a lot of times you'll get calls from people who say, "Okay, I met with the investigator at the police department. He says I got a real thing going. I'm, I'm, you know, we're, I'm really close." And 
You know, it's who knows? Like I always say to people who call in and, and write in, you know, you may be right, you may be wrong. When there's an arrest, we'll know. Did you ever meet Paul Avery, the Chronicle writer who was covering Zodiac at the time? No, no, I didn't meet him. It's too bad. I Played met his wife, the, the hooker advocate. Hooker advocate. Yeah. What? <laughs> Played by, we won't go there. That's her yeah. next uh, podcast. I want to talk about the movie. Okay. We're at 2007, and I'm guessing this thing was in development for a while. David Finchner, who at the time had done Seven, he's a big name director, and uh, he's going to come to the Chronicle. And cool. not just San Francisco, he's going to come to the Chronicle. And, you know, we've had movies filmed here, Star Trek Four, you know, Dirty Harry, but they're few and far between, much less being filmed at the Chronicle. Uh, Do you remember the buzz around that? Because you were here. I, I, I was uh, working here, but I don't remember. Oh, when Fincher did his movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I was away at Stanford on a year-long fellowship during that, but I yeah. was hearing from my friends and I was hearing bits. Uh, yeah, people were really excited because the – the, uh, the the filmmakers, I think Fincher actually, you know, they came and looked at our messy newsroom and said, you know, what a mess. It's kind of like what Arnold Schwarzenegger said. He came once and he, he stood in the at the head of the newsroom, looked at it and said, what a mess. That was his <laughs> one pronouncement on it. And I think that's what these filmmakers thought too. Yeah, and they I, I heard they were thinking of filming the interiors here and then they, it ended up being filled in, filmed in uh, L.A. in uh, uh, a terminal station, I think, is the name of the – the place where they filmed it, but they recreated our newsroom in a weird way that I'm watching this movie and you guys watch the movie too. Um, some things are like dead on, like the pillars in the center of the room are dead on the Chronicle logo up against the wall is dead on. Uh, even some of the, the, uh, the, the editor, uh, I'm sorry, the publisher's office has that wood paneling, the elevators, I think were shot in our elevators. They actually were shot there. Exteriors were shot at the Chronicle, but other things make no sense. Right. Like if you were to walk in this Chronicle today, Kevin Fagan, and try and cover a story, you'd be bumping into walls because they made like this alternate reality Chronicle that distracts me when I watch this they movie. They did. And, and one thing that, that jarred me too was that, that Chronicle logo they have on the wall. Uh, that wasn't there uh, before 2000. Uh, you know, that was a late, late addition to the newsroom. And, and and a newsroom has to look messy. Actually, if they tried to film it in the newsroom, I don't know how they'd get it done because, you know, we're kind of busy. And I mean, loud. Yeah, and we're loud. loud. We use stuff. It's You know, we're moving around. You can't really get, vacate your newsroom for months on end or even weeks on end. Okay, was the – you know the guy that sells coffee and donuts – yeah. Yeah. Is he, did he really exist? There was What's a his guy. name? Shorty. Yeah, Shorty. I don't. There was a guy who sold coffee downstairs. In, he was. We downstairs. used to have a barber downstairs. A, a guy who sold coffee downstairs, and then uh, Joe and Fee, the current coffee people, they they had a little. They inherited a little spot in the wall there. Uh, so I, I was impressed that they took that kind of level of detail. He seemed very involved in the lives of the people who worked in the newsroom. Like yeah. he was another character in the newsroom. Well, Joe and Fee, I, I've often said, they're the only people in the building who know every person in the building. I mean, they they uh, yeah. know what I want. They know what I want to eat. I mean, they're, oh, they're really a little, good little scary. That. They're, they're yeah. good, good people, though. I thought the movie, my initial reaction was I was thrown off by that. But I thought even though the desks were too clean, I was immediately um, attracted by the language, the... Uh, uh, I think uh, Paul Avery, Janice and Datebook left the fondue party before everyone got naked. I loved that. Yeah. Uh, the examiner's going with this, but won't go with the front page. 
I say we go front page. You know, a lot of the dialogue, I thought, whatever research he did, whoever he had advising him, I thought more than most movies he captured in newsroom. What did you guys think? I thought so. I did. The one thing that jarred me was, uh, you know, having uh, uh, the cartoonist and Avery in the editorial board meeting with the with the editors. Like yeah. they showed up every day to to participate in the editorial board meeting. That that, that wouldn't happen. Don Asmussen's not going to be in the. Uh, I was wondering <laughs> if the. I mean, really, the cartoonist gets to go to these big important meetings in the wood paneled room with the publisher. Yeah. Who can't read yeah. the gross parts of the letter? That yeah. was not believable. Was either. that Sam yeah. Shepard? Who was the actor? No, I don't no, think it so. Was, uh, no. Someone else. All yeah, one of the name guys. I was. I was really. I thought it was pretty cool how they had a lot of name actors in there, and they really gave it to. From all the descriptions I heard, uh, they kind of nailed Avery pretty well, and Gray Smith was a little more. Gray Smith's a really nice guy. He does. He's not a Jill and all looking guy though he's not a fox uh, an adorable i don't want to be mean he's a he, he would he's a he would say he's a normal looking guy right yeah he is noticeably adorable yeah mm. i think finchner was in a good place because seven had come out um he was in fight club had come out and i think people just wanted to work with him because you have like anthony edwards yeah. just in a pretty small role, um, you have a lot of people like that. Uh, uh, Chloe, I'm going to mispronounce Seventy. Her name. Seventy. Bam. Yeah. Thank you. Bam. Right. And is it Fincher or fin- Fincher? Oh, God. I'm going to have to redo this whole podcast. It's Fincher. I, didn't, I, I did think. everything. I got the mixer right. I learned to use GarageBand, and I didn't pronounce the names. He's Fincher. 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 According to the thing Fincher. I have in front of me. Yeah. Oh, Chloe man. Seventy, Ruffalo. I am deputizing yeah. you in charge of all. Name pronunciation. Word. Good, because oh, oh, I know words. nothing. I, I write for the Chronicle from my bed in my pajamas with my cat. Yeah. Oh, what, did you think, what did you think of the casting? What, I mean, the, the top line people. So we've got Ruffalo playing uh, David Toskey. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. Uh, we've got Downey Jr., Paul Avery, um, Brian Cox, Melvin Belli, underrated. Oh, that yeah. was I thought he was very funny. Okay, but yeah. I have an interesting He got him pretty well. Yeah. Oh, I've only seen Melvin Belli once in a parking lot. My father pointed him out and I didn't know or care who he was at the time. Uh-huh. Um, but okay, remember the scene where this is like an a casting choice that was very interesting. I am probably the only one here that noticed it though. The scene where the Paul Stein has been shot, the cab driver cab driver has been shot, and there are two cops that basically say we saw a guy matching Zodiac's description walk past us, but we thought we were supposed to be looking for an African-American suspect. Yes. Do you remember that scene? Uh, Yes. One of those cops is Jeff Callen, the husband of Hillary Newsom Callen, Gavin's sister. I see. That's a little bit of Arcania that's out there somewhere. Yeah. Gavin Newsom's brother-in-law plays the the dumb cop that missed Zodiac walking right past him. I had no idea. Oh, and those guys are they? They argued for years over who screwed up. I'm sure (laughs) they're so close. But you know, you got to cut the cops a little bit of slack. You know, they were there. What are you going to stop every single person in the area when you're when you should be running after who? You know, the description of the guy who, who shot. In the movie, though, the guy does not look – he looks scattered and kind of dumb. They, 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 movies do that. I, I always say – like I use another word, but movies are f- fake. Movies are BS. Yeah, yeah. And and you can look in any movie and find 
you know, something they changed, composite characters. Rudy, the whole character of Charles Dutton, the uh, greenskeeper who, like, lets Rudy in oh, and yeah. gives him. He didn't exist. That's he didn't exist. Sorry, I ruined Rudy for you. But um, I thought this movie, I mean, I, I started out cutting it up, and then I started liking more and more things they did. The special effects... They actually did a helicopter shot of 1970s San Francisco, probably late 60s San Francisco downtown being built. They do that wonderful special effects build of the Transamerica Pyramid. Oh, yeah, that was on my list to Marvin Gaye. To Marvin Gaye. To Marvin Marvin Gaye is the back. I mean, there were several kind of parts of the movie where the music took over for me and the Transamerica Pyramid being magically built to show the passage of time to Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was good. Well, it and, was very... and, and I gotta say, using Hurdy Gurdy Man, yes. Donovan, brilliant. Yeah, because that is always that's been the kind first of a killing, song. right? Is that the first or second? That's the credits. Yeah. First, and it's the credits. and then it's credits. the credits. It bookends the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Well, and then he comes back at the end of. I always got confused, and I've seen this movie like roughly twenty times. <laughs> that that's him at the end in the Ontario airport. Why are they meeting in an airport? You know that. He's at the beginning of the movie. He's shot. He survives the shooting. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the movie, long after Gray Smith has written his book, we're in the Ontario airport, and he comes back and identifies the main suspect, Arthur Lee Allen, which is the movie's kind of theory yeah. that this is Zodiac. Yeah. In a lineup, and he was like, "I haven't seen that face since July fourth, nineteen sixty nine." And it's a different actor. It's actually a guy from House of Cards. He's in a bunch of. He's like a character actor. Yeah, because he's aged. Right, but I just – it was very hard for me to put together that that's the guy from the first shooting that we see, not Zodiac's first shooting. Um, and why are they in an airport? I don't know, so, but he did finger him. That's that's a – yeah. I think almost a broader question. I want you to talk about this, Beth. The movie itself, um, I think the aesthetic is great. I think the style is great. I think the dialogue, I think you could kind of see how David Fincher mm-hmm. – boom – was getting into like social network, like like this. You can kind of see a path between this and that, where he's, yeah. you know, dialogue and 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 a lot of spaces not so much is happening, but it feels like something's happening. It it just seems like he would be a good fit for um for uh, Aaron Sorkin. Yet, I feel like the second half of the movie kind of doesn't know what to do. The first half is stronger to me. And I, I wanted to ask you, Beth, and you you also, Kevin, but you first, Beth, how did you feel about the structure? How do you feel about this film just as a good film? Well, I like this movie both because it's about the Zodiac, which is super interesting to everyone, but also just because, you know, as a native San Franciscan, I guess native, I mean, we could get into that. I was born in San Francisco. Uh any movie that's filmed here is awesome automatically because we get to see all the spots around town where they film. But I agree. The second half got really slow. Zodiac has basically disappeared at this point. And Robert Graysmith appears to be on his own independently, kind of annoyingly, trying to figure out who did it. Um, and we lost, you know, Anthony Edwards was great. And Melvin Belli is gone. Um, so, yeah, I agree. But it was also just tremendously exciting I liked the movie because it has San Francisco cops in it. My grandpa was a cop. It has The Chronicle in it. I write for The Chronicle. It has serial killers in it. Fascinated by serial killers. So for me, it was a very personal and exciting 
film. But yeah, the second half is boring. <laughs> Kevin, your thoughts? I, I thought the second half slowed, but it, it kind of had to because all the action takes first place in the first half. You know, the killings happen and the, uh, the, the running around and the panic and all that. Uh, I thought they, they, they captured Graysmith pretty well. I mean, aside from the pretty boy bit, eh. Did he really Robert, care that much? Did it really affect Robert, his life? Robert really did. He he did care, and he is the Boy Scout that they say. He's he's one of the most uh, uh, straight up, gentlest guys you'd want to talk to. He's he's a nice guy, and he just got sucked into it, uh, and and consequently, you can see where that came from because he's written a ton of other true crime books since. Hmm. He's really really into it, and he you know the fact that he was a cartoonist, eh. He, you know, a lot of people come to journalism from different ways. He he came to to be a real journalist, uh, and and I and a lot of people want to talk to him. I get calls all the time from people saying, "Oh, you got to hook me up with Robert Gray Smith." He doesn't want to talk to people. That's that's he's like, over talking about. That's it all a bunch the time. of books ago. Yeah, <laughs> and and the spooky people have have tried to contact him too, and I don't blame him. Uh, you know, having well, you don't want. Uh, uh, unhinged people attaching to you. I what? also thought it was interesting how how much of his personal life was covered in the movie Zodiac. We see his first date. Mm. Um, it even ends with the last when they have the little like, and here's what happened at the end of the movie kind of paragraph. It mentions that he has a healthy relationship with his children, which I thought was an interesting thing to insist upon at the end of the movie um and he hasn't received any phone calls any he- heavy breathing phone calls yeah since yeah. the suspect that's because he tries very hard not to be available for heavy breathing well phone calls. the movie definitely um you know arthur lee allen yeah definitely makes that makes the viewer think that with it's maybe a sliver of 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 doubt that that's the guy what do you think? I mean, is that a common among among the people who have, you know, logically studied this? Is Arthur Lee Allen probably the guy? Maybe the guy? He's the probable guy, and Robert certainly concluded that. A lot of stuff lines up on him. Uh, uh, there are other people who, you know, there's some pretty respected amateur sleuths who have their own guys. Yeah, uh, Tom Voigt. He's one of the. Uh, best bloggers out there on the Zodiac uh, killings. He, his one of his favorite guys is a fellow named Gaikowski, who a friend of mine worked with uh, years ago. He's a newspaper editor. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they they come up with their own compelling arguments, but a lot of the investigators I've talked to think Allen was as good as any and better than most. But the guy's dead, and a lot of the evidence is really compromised and sketchy. There are no really good fingerprints. There's no really good DNA. And until the the technology improves enough to be able to glean that stuff from the evidence they have, uh, it's it, a lot. there's a lot of guessing. But, you know, I can't you, – you can't – you cannot put a stamp on any one of those suspects and say that's the guy. Do you think it will ever be solved? Yeah. I, really? I have, been, I have been told that every year that goes by, DNA technology gets a little bit better – and they do have some. And so if you, you know, scope it out a few years and you find that you can actually isolate DNA down to the to the nth, there are plenty of suspects out there uh, that you can get DNA uh, hits on. And there's enough evidence there that you can get stuff from the blood on the on Stein's car, uh, you know, bits from the envelopes. 
uh, to Stein's clothing that was sent to the Chronicle. Uh, Zodiac had to have touched it unless he was super, super careful. I don't think he was that careful. So subscribe to the Chronicle because we are still covering this story. Heck it's yeah. not over. Oh, you bet. Kevin Fagan's on it. <laughs> uh, I wanted to, to you know, we've, we've talked about the movie, as, you know, the details of it. I, I'm thinking like broader range. This is greatest San Francisco movies of all time. Um, I have my sort of rankings. Um, I'll, I'll tell you mine and then I want you to tell me yours. I I have them San Francisco movies tiered. I think the the top movies are Vertigo, Dirty Harry, The Conversation. I don't know what to do with Star Trek Four. I mean, it's personally my favorite movie, but I don't really know how you know, say that ball. in the same sentence with those other movies, even though I love it to death. And yeah. Spock gives the Vulcan death grip to the guy on Muni. That's so I don't know what to do with that. My next tier, second tier is like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I think is underrated. Terrific. Philip Kaufman uses great use of San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, Bullet, um, it has the best scene, but the movie's maybe not as good, so it goes in the second tier for me. Zodiac, I think it's second tier. I, I There are times I watch it and I want to put it up in that top tier, and I think that's the part of me that's interested in it for the reasons Beth said, that I work at the Chronicle and I'm a big history guy, and I love how they incorporated the history into it. I'm leaving the door open like 10 years from now. It might sneak up. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's right in the top of that second tier of San Francisco great movies. Beth. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the San Francisco movies, again, I have a connection with. So Mrs. Doubtfire made my list, but because I saw Mrs. Doubtfire when I was the exact same age as the oldest daughter in that movie, they came to my dad's office to scout it for Sally Field's office at what they passed. Um, I know. And I saw it on opening night in that theater in Corte Madera with the THX sound and the kid from Home Improvement was there who's from Novato. So like it was a very Mrs. Doubtfire for those of my generation who grew up in San Francisco or the Bay Area in the 80s and 90s, Mrs. Doubtfire is a big one. I also have Copycat. I feel like Copycat <laughs> gets no love. Yep. And it is a I'm great. Are you? I'm with you on that. I love that one. Yeah. Right. Copycat, Copycat is a great really? crime yeah. movie, too. Yeah. It's right. a great crime movie. I mean, for serial killer aficionados, it's very easy to figure out who he's trying to rip off with each killing. And Sigourney Weaver has the most ridiculous, unbelievable apartment that she can't leave because she has that thing where she's afraid to leave. Yeah. Um, The killer's pretty good, though. Copycat. uh, All right. Copycat. Yeah. Harry Connick Jr. plays... One of the creepiest last lines of a movie. Send me a pair of your squirrel covers. It's just so creepy. (laughs) I saw it, like, a long time ago, and... It's worth looking at it's again. It's re revisit it. Okay. And then also my number one San Francisco movie of all time is The Game, which is a David Fincher David film. Fincher, yeah. yeah. All right, the game. Uh, side That's side gonna come up from again. Fagan. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna come up to the game again because you're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about David Fincher films. Okay. Uh, Kevin, your top films. I, I Dirty Harry I love. Especially since it's uh, Zodiac Light. It's you know, it was, it was made around the same time. It was great. And I have a daughter. I loved Princess Diaries. 
Hello. I was not <laughs> expecting that. I totally love that movie. And it's and I've even gigged uh, Willie Brown on his line in it where it says, the rain never comes down on Willie Brown. I said, oh, Mayor, please do that line for me. He's done that line for me. It's it's great. <laughs> the movie, I'm a romantic. I was not expecting that. Big the, twist. Z- the Zodiac uh, reporter for the Chronicle, Princess Diaries. You bet. Love it. Vertigo, I'm with you there. And, and there are two movies that I really love, and, and part of it's – uh, part of my love for them is from my homeless coverage. One is in Vertigo, they, it, some of the action takes place in the SROs, uh, in, in, in single residence places where single people lived back then when you weren't married yet. And they were cleaned up and they were nice. Now they're where I spend a lot of time in because they're homeless housing. And they captured the, the feel and the, of, of the street and the, of those places really, really wonderfully. And and San Francisco, you had a feel of San Francisco. I thought that was just terrific. Plus, our pal Mike Taylor, who covered um, uh, the Unabomber with me, his dad wrote Vertigo, uh, oh. a chronicle oh, guy. Wow. So that. there's loops in there Small that are town. just wonderful. Um, Pursuit of Happiness, a homeless movie with yes. uh, Will Smith. Yes. I thought that was just a terrific ca- capturing of uh, – and really? I did have a little piece of that. I was you know there when it was being filmed and – and 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 it was authentic, and Will Smith was authentic. He had a a great love for the homeless people in the Tenderloin. He hired them as extras. So the people you see in there were some of the people I've written about, and they're real homeless people getting a, a chance to be in a movie. I thought it was just terrific. Good call. Mm. Good call. And this is this this is on the 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 romantic side of me. I like Just Like Heaven with uh, oh Reese Witherspoon. What? <laughs> Oh, it's Kevin, so romantic. Get out of the archive. <laughs> wait, is that the one with Mark Ruffalo also? And yeah. he's a ghost? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, you know what? Oh, no, she's the ghost. Oh, uh, one and of them's they, a ghost. Right, and they fall in love and Again, love triumphs in the amazing end. amazing apartment that's unrealistic. Oh, wait, you know what didn't make either of your cut, which I'm disappointed in? What? Uh, Dark Passage. Oh, um, good one. Yeah, good one. that is a good one. Yeah. I don't associate it necessarily with San Francisco, but I haven't seen it in a long, long time. He so. escapes from San Quentin, crosses the Golden Gate Bridge with, like, two cars on the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. Um, again, another amazing San Francisco apartment. Lots of – there's the whole cab driver that talks about going up and down the hills of San Francisco. Oh, i got to see that again. That's a good one. Experiment yeah. in Terror is another good one that – I mean, it, oh, it's I really good What's locations. That? It's uh, Blake Edwards, I think. Yeah. And, and it's uh, – just noiry and and offbeat a little bit and wonderful nighttime San Francisco locations. Ooh, Experiment cool. in terror. Well, how about milk? Milk's milk. Milk. We didn't mention milk. Like milk that. is. I'm going to bring up milk again in a little bit because we're going to talk about which ones we should do next and who I should bring in here. Well, but I was going to say Blue Jasmine's another one. That's a real Blue Jasmine one. with Woody That's Allen. Real scenes. Beth. Mm. Oh wait, so I married an axe murderer. So okay, I'm, I'm in, next, in oh. the Chronicle. So you're, <laughs> you're right. Okay, so Fincher rated. Um, I go seven. Then I go Zodiac, I think. Then uh, Social Network, then Fight Club. But I haven't seen Fight Club in a while. It might go up if I watched it again. And then Game is my five. But Ugh. you're going you're gonna to knock no. that out of the water. The Game is great. Okay. The Game is, can you go into the Palace Hotel and not think of Michael Douglas falling through the amazing. Oh, yes. The, 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 the yes. And it's there. such a, I mean, I love a big twist at the end. That's a great, the game has a great twist. They're all over the Bay Area. They're zipping around at night. My own, my issue and one of the things I like about it is that apparently he lives in this amazing mansion in San Francisco that has acres upon acres of 
forestry surrounding it. Yeah, that's... Um, seven, I agree. Seven is wonderful. And we don't really know what city seven takes place in because they never igno- – oh. never... yeah, I'm not sure. I always thought reveal. L.A. It looked like downtown L.A., some of those flop houses. I guess it could be anywhere, though. Yeah, it seemed L.A. to me. Yeah. I, I, hell, I'd put Seven uh, and Dirty Harry as the top two crime movies of all time in my mind. Really? Oh, they're just terrific. I mean, so Dirty Harry's a little, you know, it's a little goofy in its way. But Seven is just amazing. Twist. Awesome. Big twist at the end. Seven. Yeah. Seven yeah, that twist. What's in the box? Big, big twist. I had one of one of our crime reporters here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was doing some murder story a few weeks ago. and. And uh, there was a box, and the guy comes over and says, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> and Journal- I knew instantly what he was talking about. <laughs> Journalism humor. Yeah. Gallows humor. I saw that on a date, Seven, and it was not a – there's some scenes in that that like – and it was like – it may not have been a first date, but it was like in the first two. Oh, really? This is not with your wife, I assume. No, no. no was she no uh, understanding? Uh, no, it was awkward. And I'm already an awkward dude on a date. I mean, luckily I've been married for 15 years, so it's not an issue anymore. Yeah. But I'm a super, super, I was a super awkward date. Oh, that was so, a really awkward movie. <laughs> so I'm Why not like, like. Why did you like, select that? I think she wanted to see it and I tried to talk her out of it. I, mean, I probably wanted to take her to some animated thing and just to have it be safe. Um, but yeah, I remember going on a date on that and it being the, the scene where Leland Dorser, who I've interviewed and I've gotten to know a little bit he's a great guy uh he plays as his very first role he played i forget which sin it is but it's the guy who's got something lust, strapped to him lust, lust with the knife strapped with to the him, hooker yes with the, the hooker yep. and the thing and that, I was, and that was his that first scene. role oh really? so i gotta have leland on a podcast that at was some his point. first role ever yes. he's also the bone collector yes leland is awesome mm. um i have leland stories but i gotta have him on a podcast sometime um all right so I want to have you guys back in in together, ideally, but for some sort of podcast situation. But the rules on greatest movie of all time is I'm trying to match movies that are great San Francisco movies with people probably who work for The Chronicle. I might take someone from outside who um, would go good with that movie. So I'm thinking like I think Milk would be good with maybe Heather Knight and Audrey. Milk would be good. Because yeah. Audrey's got the history thing, and she's also the editor. Audrey Cooper, our editor-in-chief, mm-hmm. and Heather Knight uh, covers City Hall. Yeah. Um, oh, and there's all kinds of lore about that. Yeah. That's a yeah, good call. That's a good that call. could be a good one. I'm, I'm thinking for podcasting, and I want a good movie. So what do you guys think? Beth, what do you – Does it have to be specifically in San Francisco, or can it be Bay Area related? <sighs> I think it can be Bay Area related. Okay, then I pick The Birds – yeah. Okay. That good. one gets billed as a San Francisco one, but it's it's more Bay Area. There That's was wonderful. some right. San Francisco in it. Um, and I would like to hear Tony Bravo's thoughts on the outfits because What's Her Bucket is wearing the same amazing green suit that never gets a spot on it through <laughs> numerous attacks. That's true. She in Bodega Bay. Yeah. And a lot of running around. Boat rides. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there are some of those old movies like Dark Passage um, and Vertigo have really cool – Costumes. There's a stylistic element that I think someone from the style team would be cool to. Okay. Chime well, I would. In get, on. I would That's get our pick. former colleague Mike Taylor in for Vertigo. All right. Since his dad wrote it. So All right. That, oh well, yeah. Yeah, there's a logical one. Uh, uh, who would you get in for Mrs. Doubtfire? Oh, um, that's tough. 
He went a, through a really painful divorce. <laughs> We're not going to name names. I mean, I knew Robin Williams pretty well as a uh, from my homeless work. Yeah, uh, but he didn't really talk about well, we'll get, Mrs. We'll get, Doubtfire much. We'll get Beth back in. Maybe we'll get you both in for Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, I am so stoked that you guys came in. This is like the first podcast, and you're two of my favorite people. And um, Thanks, I Peter. appreciate your yeah. thoughts on Zodiac. I enjoy both of your writing and. Um, I think you're great people, and uh, well, you're pretty freaking terrific yourself. You. Your history stuff is just a, an amazing game changer for the Chronicle, and it's it's wonderful. Which Plus people should subscribe writer. to? People they should subscribe should. to the Chronicle. And your devotion to getting people to subscribe to the Chronicle. Subscribe is to the Chronicle. I think that's like I want this podcast. I Former want Paperboy. Peter Thank Harlob. you. That's people it. have been. I've had a couple editors like I've said it now, and people are like, uh huh. It's like my Stanford. You know, like my Harvard <laughs> name drop. I was a former Chronicle paperboy, and it's yeah, becoming it a cliche. So I got to drop that and I like find it. some other. No, they bump it with yeah, the trumpet. Like getting a little bit. You don't want to be that guy who everybody's got the bingo card, like checking off the things that they always say. So and get some new material. Thank you very much, and I uh, hope to have you guys back. And uh, this is greatest movie of all time, San Francisco Chronicle. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Time it's two a.m. Time for closing The cops, they're all sideways And I think Aaron's broken home Best believer Our own accord I'm an armed fog breathing I'm an armed walking And we've been singing a song As we scatter our way home The Big Event is a product of the San Francisco Chronicle Seriously, become a subscriber, www.sfchronicle.com. Thank you, Kevin Fagan and Beth Spotswood, for coming in. Thanks, Leah Garchik, for recording our opening signature. And thank you, Benny Evangelista and Fernando Diaz, for helping me make sense of this podcasting equipment. Our theme music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks from their album Community. It's about San Francisco and fighting for what you love. A fist-in-the-air salute to Ryan Massey and the band. Check out their music at Lugosi Records. If you like this, share it, listen to it again, and say you love it if you ever get in a Chronicle focus group. I had a blast and hope they let me do another one.